I'm Samantha Olds Fry, CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, and this is Sam Says, a podcast series focused on Illinois Medicaid managed care. Hello, I'm DeRondo Beverly with the Gemini Group, and welcome to Sam Says. On today's episode, we sit down with Dr. Daniel Corboy, Regional Vice President, Medical Director of Illinois Medicaid at Humana, to discuss the Medicaid Medicare Alignment Initiative commonly referred to as MMAI, and care coordination in the context of MMAI. But first, let me welcome our host, the Sam and Sam Says, Samantha Olds Fry, CEO of I'm Hip. Sam, how are you today? I'm great, Rondell. How are you? I am doing well, doing well. Uh, so let's jump right into it. Uh, we have a very special guest today. I'd like to now introduce Dr. Daniel Corboy. Regional Vice President, again, and Medical Director of Illinois Medicaid at Humana. Welcome, Dr. Corboy, to Sam Says. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well, doing well. We appreciate you you being here, and uh, we have a great conversation today, and, and we're excited to dive into today's discussion on MMAI and care coordination. But before we do, please lay the foundation for our listeners. What is the Medicaid-Medicare Alignment Initiative? So uh, the MMAI program is meant for dual eligibles. Um, And and what that means is that in order to be eligible to participate in the program, uh, uh, you have to have both Medicare and Medicaid. Um, You know, this program is unique to Illinois. Um, I believe it's been around since 2014. Uh, And and the intent uh, in creating this program was to streamline care coordination and prevent uh, fragmentation of care, which I think we can all recognize is pretty common in the US healthcare delivery system. So um, that was really what they've been striving to do. Um, You know, uh, currently the footprint of the MMAI program is within um, uh, Cook and and the surrounding uh, Collar counties, you know, so basically Chicago, area uh, a little bit north, a little bit west, a little bit south. Um, But as of uh, July 1st, uh, they're expanding the program um, for all counties in Illinois. Um, So that's uh, exciting, but uh, also kind of (laughs) scary because as you can imagine, the the density of population and the geography uh, is markedly different in um, sort of Southern Illinois, Western Illinois. Um, so I think um, all the uh, managed care organizations who are participating um, in uh, the dual demonstration project or MMAI, uh, again, are excited, but uh, also trying to gear up to try to, you know, ensure that, um, you know, the same level of service that we've been providing in, in uh, the current footprint will be able to do for um, the rest of uh, Illinois members. And Dr. Corpoy, thank you for really laying that foundation. As a policy wonk, why I love MMAI is that it really ties together the comprehensive benefits of Medicare and sort of that wraparound service of Medicaid to fully serve a member in a much more streamlined fashion. You know, as somebody who had a family member um, who was dual eligible, uh, without MMAI coordination, and it, it's quite fragmented and it's quite confusing and you're dealing with sort of the bureaucracy of agencies, um, whereas with or you maybe you have a Medicare Advantage plan and then you've got, you know, the Medicaid component 
Whereas when you have MMAI, it's this one entity to call, this one organization from a patient perspective that you're interacting with. But from a public policy perspective, what's nice is often the investment in sort of the Medicare benefits, the, you know, the preventative care uh, and, and pharmaceuticals, you're going to decrease costs um, on the Medicaid side around long-term care uh, and that doesn't happen naturally in sort of a government structure, you know, because Medicare is obviously federally fully supported and Medicaid supported um, 50% in Illinois by, by the state. So there's not necessarily sort of any incentive from either side to sort of invest in one program to save dollars on the other program. But when you put them into managed care and you have this dual demonstration program, it makes sense um, financially to sort of make that investment on the um, sort of acute and preventative healthcare side to avoid those long-term care um, costs. But you talked about this a little bit already, you know, general characteristics of the, po- uh, of the population with NMMAI, these are duly eligible members. So they are eligible for both Medicaid and Medicare. Um, can you talk a little bit more about sort of the, you know, characteristics and what that population looks like? And then why, especially for that population, the simplification within MMAI, um, allowing that population to better access their healthcare benefits, sort of the strength of that? Sure. Um, you know, well, by virtue of it being a, a Medicare program, uh, clearly it skews towards the elderly. Um, and so, um, you know, what that generally means is that you're dealing with a sicker population that has a lot of underlying um, comorbidities. Um, you know, not to be too stereotypical, but this group also doesn't really embrace technology particularly well and, and uh, you know, sort of the limitations of trying to navigate a complex health system can be challenging, um, you know, for any individual, but certainly without the benefit of understanding, um, you know, how to set up online appointments and things of that nature. Um, and so it, it definitely um, is, uh, you know, by, by virtue of, of the individuals who comprise the program, um, it just has a lot more intensity of services than, for instance, a young, you know, um, Medicaid recipient. Um, you know, uh, uh, the program itself is really kind of subdivided into a couple of different buckets. Um, one is, uh, and the, the vast majority of the members are community well members. And so uh, they are, you know, people who have their own homes or apartments, um, you know, generally are uh, pretty self-sufficient, um, you know, but still uh, perhaps impoverished and, and, and um, in need of, of services, but not extended services. Um, another group, uh, is called the LTSS, which stands for the Long-Term Services and Supports Group. And um, these members, um, you know, r- require some degree of extra services that, you know, you might not consider medical, but certainly are beneficial in terms of their well-being. Um, and, you know, to be eligible for uh, this population, you have to actually be um, uh, uh, a waiver um granted a waiver, um, which is uh, something that is designed for certain categories of people. So for instance, there's a, a waiver for elderly, there's a, wa- a waiver for disabled, um, a waiver for brain injured individuals. 
And so each one of these waivers kind of has um, uh, certain services attached to them um, that would uh, clearly benefit the individual. So things like homemaker services, um, there's um, you know uh, group daycare services, adult daycare services, things of that nature. So again, while these might not be felt to be you know traditionally medical services, they're uh, definitely helpful for these individuals and quite frankly can prevent them from going into an institution like a long-term care facility. Um, and the last group is the long-term care facility group, which um, unfortunately, uh, you know, really has no other recourse but to be in uh, a facility. Um, these people tend to be, you know, the sickest population have the most disability and, and really require um, very intensive resources. Right. And, and to that end, Dr. Corey, sort of how you talked about early on in that discussion of these are really our most vulnerable members um, throughout the Medicaid program in Illinois. You know, study after study finds that the costs, the healthcare costs of dual eligibles far exceeds the cost of other populations. And, and that makes sense. And if you think about it and that these are our oldest members by, by and large, um, given that they're, they're Medicare eligible, but they're also um, low income. And, and so that means oftentimes that they have had stressors on their life, you know, throughout their life. They've had sort of potentially unmet healthcare needs, not just now, you know, when they're 65 or older, but maybe when they're 50 or, you know, what, what not. And so there tends to be, a, you know, sort of this cross-section where there are more comorbidities, sort of more levels of complexity. And so that really highlights the the role of care coordination and why these members benefit so much from care coordination because there is so much going on within sort of their healthcare needs. Um, can you talk a little bit about how care coordination, you know, what care coordination looks like for this population? Sure. Um, well, care coordination can have a lot of different meanings uh, depending on the context, of course. But really at the heart of it is um, identifying um, gaps in care and barriers to care, and then really trying to close those gaps and to overcome those barriers. Um, so, you know, much of this is accomplished by uh, having a health risk assessment performed by a care coordinator. Uh, and that's basically a series of questions that's asked to the individual. Um, where, you know, they get a sense of what their, um, you know, medical condition is, as well as just sort of what their daily activities are and uh, any barriers they might face uh, just, just uh, during the course of their day. Um, and, um, you know, the, the important thing there is not only to identify kind of medical gaps, but really identify things that are non-medical or, or even perceptions on the part of the individual him or herself, uh, who you know might have um, their own take on what really they're they're lacking in terms of being preventing them from having full full health. Um, so a, you know, sort of a good example of um, you know sort of a clinical gap in care. Let's just take a common condition like uh, insulin dependent diabetes. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into managing a diabetic that you can't imagine a a, um, a PCP being able to truly uh, accomplish that level of management within a couple of office visits a year. Um, 
So, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, getting your insulin, uh, taking the insulin properly, uh, eating at the right time of the day, uh, eating the right foods, um, you know, understanding um, how, uh, you know, how your diet is uh, impacting your, your insulin. Um, so, you know, there's a lot that goes into, uh, you know, in, uh, an individual's understanding. Um, and what our care coordinators will do is uh, provide coaching to them um, so they can better understand their disease process. But they can also do things like set up their uh, appointments. Um, you know, uh, one of the common things in diabetes is eye problems. So they can go and get them a specialist appointment. Um, so it's really a very, uh, you know, sort of full circle activity uh, that, are, that our care coordinators um, can do. Um, and then when it comes to things like, you know, non-clinical activities or non-clinical gaps, you know, even something as simple as transportation, you know, getting people to their appointments, uh, getting, um, getting uh, the, their, their medications delivered, um, you know, uh, identifying whether they have food insecurity, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, because that's going to be a big driver of uh, healthy outcomes. Um, and one of the things that's worth mentioning is part of this whole risk assessment is actually putting people into categories of high, medium, and low um, with the intent that, of course, the, the people who are identified as highest risk are going to get the most intensity of uh, care coordination, high touch, um, compared to someone, you know, who, who would be uh, construed as low. That is so helpful, you know, to have you really lay that out there. And, and it demonstrates the benefit of care coordination specifically for this population, but also how many moving pieces there are, right? Like, so there's the clinical component, complex health conditions, um, potentially in um, managed or unmanaged. So how do we, you know, make sure that that member is getting to appointments, making sure that the appointments are scheduled, making sure that there's, you know, full appreciation for their health conditions and how they manage that, you know, and then also the social determinants of health component, especially when you think of something like diabetes, there are all these other pieces that that play a role, like food security, you know, do you have access to healthy foods? Um, you know, do you have a sense of what healthy foods you should be consuming? Um, you know, and, and how does how does the health plan assist in that? And then also, you know, just really basic stuff like transportation, do you have um, a way to get to these appointments that are being scheduled? Do you have a way to get home? Do you do you appreciate that, that there's a benefit? Um, that will cover the cost of transportation for you as a dual eligible member so that you don't miss your appointments because perhaps a family member can't take you because some things come up unexpectedly. So I think that really, you know, just in that one example of one patient, you know, who's a diabetic, you know, what the benefit of MMAI can be and then how it's not just the clinical piece, but there's also the social determinants that play a role. And then obviously as we talk about this and I'm just thinking through like how many pieces of this puzzle there are, obviously this involves collaborating, you know, with providers um, because nobody, no entity sort of can do this alone. So how does some of those collaborations sort of work with the provider community and this complex population? So on a, on a high level, um, you know, Humana has interactions with large medical groups. 
um, which gives us the opportunity to really address, you know, issues with their leadership. And so we have joint operating committee meetings where we'll maybe quarterly meet with them and um, speak about, you know, quality metrics like uh, hypertension management, um, cancer screenings, uh, annual uh, visits, uh, flu vaccines, um, you know, and, and really give them almost a scorecard on how they're doing as a group. And, um, you know, this is an opportunity for us to, to interact and kind of get their perspective as to see, you know, if they feel that there are any barriers to getting a hold of, of their membership and an opportunity for us to collaborate on, on figuring out how to uh, accomplish that. Um, you know, at the same time, we also uh, share with them uh, data we have on our, our high utilizers. Um, you know, uh, those who uh, uh, have either uh, frequent admissions or readmissions to the hospital, um, as well as those who uh, routinely use the emergency department far more than others. Um, it gives them the opportunity to sort of say, um, wow, well, maybe there is some kind of intervention that, that we can do better at, especially if it's an impactable uh, kind of problem. So for instance, um, uh, COPD or, or, or asthma, if somebody's getting repeatedly admitted for, for those conditions, which um, for the most part should be able to be managed as an outpatient, well, something's not going exactly right then. And so I think just making them aware of, of um, you know, the members that are part of their purview uh, uh, that, you know, they can sort of on an individual level seek them out and try to try to make some uh, improvements. Um, you know, at a, at a more individualistic level, um, we do have uh, interdisciplinary care team discussions for our, um, you know, really sick members, you know, perhaps those who have cancer or are declining in health or, you know, entertaining hospice, for instance. And these um, uh, ICTs, as they're called, um, really are, um, you know, uh, engage both the, the member, if they have a power of attorney, certainly they should be present. And we, um, and we invite providers and quite frankly, uh, they do show up at times and, and really provide some valuable input in, in you know, helping along a, a complex decision that doesn't necessarily have a clear answer. Um, and probably one of the biggest uh, things that we can do in our interactions with providers is transitions of care, which are notoriously um, challenging uh, for stumbling blocks. And uh, what I mean by that is, you know, especially patients coming out of the hospital setting, you know, who maybe want to return to their previous setting, but realistically that might not be the best scenario for them. So for instance, they might need to transition to a skilled nursing facility, even for a short period of time, um, or perhaps get some, you know, some in-home equipment, um, you know, such as oxygen or something like that. Um, again, just to get them over the hump. Um, and that's where I think uh, care coordination really adds a lot um, because we can ensure that those things really don't fall through the cracks. And what I absolutely, and what I love of sort of how you've highlighted that is that, you know, there are several tools, several modes of coordination and collaboration, and it's really patient specific. It's sort of population specific and provider specific. You know, what are the provider, you know, what are the patient population that providers are serving, you know, informing and empowering the provider community of these are the gaps in care. These are the challenges these specific members are facing. And then on those most complex patients who are sort of going through 
um, you know, just incredibly difficult healthcare and sometimes just emotional times, how do we wrap a whole care team around them and empower that member and their families to make informed um, decisions that are right for them as individuals and what may be right for one family, um, you know, may not be right for the other. And so really giving them the information and, and giving them choice um, and empowering them to make those healthcare decisions as opposed to sort of just hoping that they sort of can put these complex pieces together on their own, which we know, um, you know, doesn't always work. So we've had a real robust discussion, but I want to make sure that we sort of end this discussion with what do you think is the most important thing that our listeners should walk away with, with regards to MMAI and care coordination and collaboration um, that you want to just make sure is underscored? You know, there's an old adage that you should beware the, the person who shows up your door and says, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. I think that same uh, perception of the of the um, insurance industry uh, persists, both from providers as well as um, from patients. That they they're like, well, just just pay the bills and and you know stay out of it, uh, the, stay out of any interaction I might have between me and my doctor. And I think realistically, uh, the viewpoint has changed. That all carriers um, want to be more embedded in the healthcare delivery system. Um, to improve the quality of uh, the care that the individuals get, you know, prevent the fragmentation that is so common in our system. Um, and, and if, you know, at the end of the day, if that saves money for the carrier, so be it. Um, but it, it, if it's right for the patient and it improves, you know, their access and, and their care, then that's really what the end goal that we're all trying to accomplish. Um, so I, I, I want to break those, break down those perceptions that uh, you know that it's the the evil insurance company that that is um, you know solely interested in in their own uh, best interests. And thank you so much, Dr. Corpore. And it, that really you know ties in to a previous discussion we've had here on CM Says with um, Blue Cross and Harmony Harrington where we really talked about insurance has just changed over the, you know, over the past decades. And we're really in a place where how do we focus on outcomes? How do we focus on our members? How do we start to really engage in social determinants of health? Because they, they play such a large role in clinical outcomes um, and, and finding the gaps within the system and helping close those gaps. Um, and there are just, there are gaps at the provider community um, can't close themselves. And there are obviously gaps that the members or the patients can't close themselves. And sort of that's where the role of the health plan comes in um, to assist them and to wrap around those services. And especially when we talk about the Medicaid and Medicare population um, and those health plans, that is really a different function and a, a different sort of type of interaction than what you may see as a healthy 27-year-old um, buying health insurance off of the exchange, right? Like this population, this function, the structure of the plan is really different um, within Medicaid and Medicare and within Medicaid um, exclusively as well than what we might see sometimes on the commercial side because our population is so different and their needs are so different. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And I think that's a good point to, to close us out. I mean, I, that's uh, you guys are really getting into it and really heating up at the end. But I think, unfortunately, we have to cut it there. 
Uh, we want to offer a special thank you to Humana and Dr. Corboy for taking some time to talk with us today. Dr. Corboy, we would love it if uh, you would come back and, and consider joining us for a future episode of Sam Says, if you don't mind. Oh, that would be my pleasure. Fantastic. Fantastic. Sam, before we close out, that was a wonderful conversation between you and Dr. Corboy. Uh, anything that really stuck out with you or that you'll just you know be more mindful of going forward? Yeah. So MMA, MMA, I always hold sort of a special place in my heart. It was one of the first programs we stood up back in 2014 when I just started at my role here at IMHEP. Um, and so what I love about MMA sort of stays with me is that we are really wrapping services around the most vulnerable population. And we've seen success in the Chicago region as Dr. Corboy's pointed out. And so now we're taking that success and those lessons learned statewide, 102 counties um, as of July 1st. And I'm really excited about the ability to sort of build upon previous successes um, and provide these additional services to more Illinoisans who haven't had access to sort of the care coordination services that Humana and that our other health plans offer. Okay. All right. Another solid episode of Sam Says. Uh, if you enjoyed what you've heard, I encourage you to visit the I'm Hip website at imhip.net. That's I-A-M-H-P.net to learn more about what the association is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one today. I also encourage you to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And if you're interested in becoming a trusted partner like Humana, I encourage you to reach out to I'm Hip's Chief Operating Officer, Elena Kennedy, or again, visit the website at imhip.net. On behalf of Sam and the wonderful team at I'm Hip, I'm DeRondo Beverly with the Gemini Group. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sam Says. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon.